Welcome to the podcast, Most People Don't, But You Do. Here we have stories and conversations about the benefits received and the fulfillment enjoyed by doing what most people don't. This is Bart Berkey, CEO and founder of Most People Don't. We are a motivational storytelling and training company where we provide enabling tools to encourage people to do what most people don't. I am so excited for today's guest. Her name is Christine Marzano. She's a dear friend of a mutual friend of ours, Cameron Lee. And let me read a little bit about Christine's background before we get into some questions. She's based in California, it's California. She is the founder and CEO of BODS, B-O-D-S. And it's such an interesting concept. We're really excited to be able to get into it, but let me read a little of the description. She's transforming fashion e-commerce through artificial intelligence in gaming technology. It is going to be outstanding. Thinking about how that can incorporate into the world of fashion and fit. She's been in the fashion industry for several years, including time as a runway and fit model for Dior, Saint Laurent, Balmain and Gucci, also with entertainment companies, some incredible awards, and we're just going to get right into the question. So first of all, Christine, thank you for joining us a little bit early in California. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, we will definitely get into the purpose of your company, how you started it, how you are leading it, but you have such an interesting background. Understand, of course, as we were just talking before this went live, that you're from Brooklyn, and here you are being in California, going through being a runway model to a fit model to now the owner of a company. Can you walk us through a little bit about what started you down this path? Tell us about high school. Tell us about growing up. Did you have siblings? What were your interests? What were your hobbies at an early age? Yeah, sure. So I grew up in Brooklyn. I have two sisters. And we're all fairly close in age, but wildly different in our interests, which I think was always good because we were all able to excel at the things that we liked to do and that we were good at. And we weren't necessarily competitive with one another in those ways. And my parents were always super encouraging of whatever we wanted to do. And I think at the core of me being able to be an entrepreneur and everything else was just that my parents always told us, yeah, go for what you want to do, dream big. We had to do it ourselves. I didn't come from a very wealthy family where they were supporting me financially every step of the way or anything, but I knew that emotionally I was always supported by them and that they always supported what I wanted to do. And they were always my biggest cheerleaders. So I think that, that has really helped me throughout my entire journey. And I think, I don't know, throughout school and high school, I was always, I always liked school. I was always interested in learning. I always wanted to figure out things that I didn't know before. I think when you grow up anywhere, I grew up in Brooklyn, which is a big city and you're really close to one of the biggest cities in the world. And so I had access to go and see theater and things like that. But even if you don't, I think wherever you grow up, it can be, it can seem quite small because you're only going so far outside of what you're little sphere is, whether that's your family or your street or your community. And I think for me, I always, because I did read so much and I was learning, knew there was this much bigger world out there that I did want to, sorry, explore. And that maybe not a lot of people in my neighborhood or my community had. And I knew that was something that I had always wanted to do. So I was set from the time I was very small on finding something that I could do that would allow me to travel 
to see other parts of the world, to see other cultures, to see how other people communicated. And I don't actually know where that came from, but it was something from the time I was really small, was exploring, finding new places and new things and knowing that there were other people and other ways of thinking outside of where I was living. Christine, that's so funny that you say that because thinking Brooklyn, thinking proximity to New York City, oh my gosh, right? The city that never sleeps. Are you kidding me that you didn't feel like you were perhaps seeing enough and experiencing enough, which is just remarkable, right? It's just remarkable. But when you get back into the neighborhood and people maybe would travel three blocks this way and three blocks that way, and then that was your confined world, not in a bad way, but just in a realistic way, to think that was what you wanted to be able to accomplish. Like I, I speak to many people and many guests that, that we've had prior to you. And again, this is episode 80 or 81. So thank you again <laughs> for, uh, for that monumental contribution. But a lot of people that I talked to grew up in the Midwest and they grew up on, on a rural dairy farm as an example. And when they talked to me about wanting to see and explore, I can understand because let's say it was Wisconsin or it was Illinois and they didn't really have a chance to see. So it's really interesting to get that feeling. Did you have relatives or friends that would travel and come back and share things with you and your sisters perhaps? Yes, we had a few relatives that would travel. I had an uncle that was in the military. And so he actually got to travel quite a bit. And he would come back from different areas because he had traveled in the military. And we had some family that was in Ireland that lived there. But outside of that, I didn't have tons of neighbors or friends or family members that were constantly traveling and coming back and telling us what it was like. I was really getting most of my information about different places and people from the encyclopedia or books and things like that. So it was something that I really did always want to explore. And I think what's interesting, and maybe this is helpful for people that are from rural places as well, even though it was Brooklyn and it was 25 minutes away by train from Manhattan, which we call growing up in Brooklyn, you call it the city. Manhattan is the city, you you know, you live in Brooklyn. There were lots of people that lived there that they went to the city once a year, or they went to the city once in their lifetime. And so just because it's, it is in that proximity to a huge city doesn't necessarily mean that the sort of thinking or anything else is much more broad or open or anything like that. Yeah. Okay. So going back to high school years and growing, made it into the city once in a while, right? You're reading. Oh yeah. I used to go, then I would go to the city all the time. I, so I went to high school in Brooklyn. I went to a public high school. And it was quite an interesting school because there were probably around 4,000 students in it at the time. It's a New York City public school. It's enormous. And so you don't know all the kids there. And the representation of cultures and everything that was in that school was insane. I don't think I've ever been in a more diverse place than my high school. And we they were very open-minded. It was I was in a lot of the theater productions. We had, it was the late 90s, early 2000s. We had a rainbow club that basically was an open split place that people could go that that identified with any type of sexuality. And they would announce that club every day on the loudspeaker alongside the math club and the chess club and everything else. It was quite normal. And I didn't realize that wasn't normal actually growing up. And that wasn't what other people were experiencing. So I, again, I loved school. So I was a really good student. I took all the AP classes and everything else, but I was again, really involved in the theater. I did all of the plays and productions there. And then I'd go into the city a lot to see 
plays. So basically you could go into Manhattan and I remember rent was the first play that allowed you to get $5 tickets if you waited on a line. So my friends and I would take the train after school, go into the city, wait on the line. And if we got the $5 tickets, we'd go and see the show. And if we didn't, then we'd just go and eat something and get back on the, or walk around and see some cool things and then get back on the train and go home. So I think that by the time I finished high school, I had seen rent about 41 times or something Uh, crazy like that. But that was always a fun experience. And I think really was formative in a lot of ways. Yeah. And was that, is that, is that what propelled you to want to pursue acting in theater and modeling do you think that was the indicator that's what you wanted to do and when you finished high school is that what you studied in college so I was always a theatrical kid I was always putting on performances for my parents and for if anyone would watch I would put on a performance for anyone that would watch I'd make my sisters do dance performances that I would choreograph and I'd put together movies I remember filming a fake not a fake we used my dad's camcorder but we made a movie at a friend's house and I directed and wrote the movie and acted in it. And so I think I was always into performing. I really loved it. Like I said, I loved theater. My father would take us all the time to see theater at a local high school. And I think when you're really small, you have no idea the difference between that and Broadway. So we were thrilled to go and see it. And we thought everyone that was in it were these stars and we would wait to get their autographs at the end of the performance. And looking back, they were just high school kids, but I'm sure that they got a kick out of it as well. So yeah, I'd always been really interested in performing and theater. And so when I was involved with it in high school and then in college, I was involved with theater as well. I got asked to model when I was a senior in high school. I happened to be in Manhattan and was walking to do a science project that I was doing weekly at a hospital there. And someone came from a modeling agency, walked out of their door and asked if I wanted to model. So that's how that happened. But I had always had this passion for theater and performance. So while I was in college, I went to Princeton. While I was there, I I also studied abroad in the UK at a Shakespeare conservatory, which was an incredible experience and true theater training. And then after graduation, I moved basically back to New York to do theater. I still was modeling a bit. And then after a bit of time there, moved out to LA to continue in film and TV and things like that. Yeah. What an incredible, what incredible story. And might hear things along the lines of, oh yeah, I was discovered when I was in New York. I was discovered when I was at the beach in California. And that really happened to you, correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, If someone would not have seen you and said, would you model when you were in New York and someone came up and said, have you ever thought about modeling? If that would not have happened, do you think that you would have still pursued that? Modeling wasn't necessarily something that I was looking to do. My mom was not someone that was reading fashion magazines and things like that. It wasn't something that was really part of my life to that point. And I wasn't really exposed to it. So I I don't know if I would have pursued it myself if it was something that was not the track I was on. I was on a pretty academic 
track and I wanted to go to Princeton and I was trying to find every way that I could get every scholarship possible to cobble it together in order to afford to go there if I got in and everything else. And I wound up applying early and I did get in and I graduated from high school early and then started modeling after that. So I do think though, it's one of those situations where if you're presented with an opportunity, take it. And I think I also really respect my parents for allowing me to do it. I was young. I was a teenager. They could have very well said, no, you're not doing it. Like you're going to college and that's what you're doing. And I think had they done that, I would have resented them. And I wouldn't have had as many incredible experiences that I had that allowed me to grow as a human and as a person. And so they trusted me. And I think they thought that they had raised me well to that point and let me go and do it. And I was a 17 year old traveling all the world, but traveling the world by myself, living by myself, doing all these things that I had never done before. And yeah, it was definitely something that I I can't even imagine as a parent, what that, uh, what that feels like. Yeah. And Christine, with your sisters, were they older or younger? My sisters were younger. My sisters are younger. (laughs) Okay. Are younger. So you were the first and for them to let the 17 year old, the, the oldest sister to be able to do that. Do you think that set a precedent for how they would then react? Did they treat your sisters any differently as a result of you leaving the nest first? I was always doing my own thing. I lived in China for almost a year when I was 15 because I applied to this study abroad program that I had read about in the New York Times. And I had to submit essays and go for interviews and things like that. And I thought, wow, this will be a really cool experience. I get to go to China. And it was a subsidized travel program. So I think in the end, you only had to pay $600 or something for the entire trip. And I remember thinking, it's worth a shot. Why not do it? And then I got the call that I had been accepted to do it. And I told my parents, hey, guys, I'm going to go to China and live there for a while and study and do all this other stuff. So I think I had already set that precedent a little bit when I was going and living in China, but I was living with a group of students and there was an adult that was in charge of us in that scenario. Whereas when I went and did the modeling, it really was me on my own. There were no adults that were responsible. Contrary, it was like adults who were irresponsible that were like meant to be looking out for you. So I think, and yeah, I think that me being independent and making those decisions early on allowed for my sisters to have more leeway and flexibility with my parents as well. What was your degree from when you finished Princeton? Psychology. I have a BA in psychology. All right. And so then you decide, okay, you finish school. You're like, okay, I'm going to move to California. What were the hopes at that point in going to California? You wanted to be on stage. Why leave New York City if you wanted to be on stage? You wanted be in TV and film, you wanted to be a full-time model. What were your thoughts? And I know this is just setting the foundation for what you're doing right now, because mm-hmm. you are the CEO and founder of an incredibly successful company, some incredible words on fast company. So we're just laying the foundation of how did you get to be this way? So if I can go back to that question, what were your thoughts? What were your dreams when you moved out to California? So I didn't move to California immediately after graduation. I actually moved to New York And I, because I wanted to do theater in New York. So I was auditioning for tons of different theater projects. I was doing live theater. I was doing off Broadway stuff. I was doing fringe theater. And I was working as a waitress, like I was working at a nightclub. So I was doing that while I was auditioning. And then when I would get a part, I wouldn't work for a while. And it was great because it was flexible. So I'd get a role, I'd do that play for a little bit of time, and then I'd go back and my waitressing job would still be there. And 
I think that was great. And I had an amazing time doing it. But what I realized was it wasn't paying the bills. And I didn't want to have to continue to be a cocktail waitress forever. And everyone was saying, if you really want to get into TV and film at that point in time, you really have to go to LA. You have to be in the rooms. You have to do that. I think now it's very different. I think you can have a successful TV film career and you can really be anywhere because now all of the auditions are tape submitted. You can have Zoom calls with the directors, the producers and everybody else. At that point, you really did have to be in the room and you had to have a good agent and all of them were in LA. There were some in New York, but so I decided, okay, if I really want to take this to the next level and I want to make it my career that I can actually live off of, I need to make the move to LA. And I was dating a guy at the time in New York and we were living together and it was amazing. And I said, I really want to go to LA. I think that this is the next step for me. And he didn't want to go. And he was like, no, I want to stay in New York. And so it was a very difficult decision. I was in my twenties and I remember thinking to myself, if I don't go, then I will probably always wonder what could have happened if I didn't go. And so we wound up breaking up and I moved to California and started my life there. And it was a big move. I remember it was just like the money I had saved from working at the nightclub. And I had just not very many friends in California. Most of my friends from college all stayed on the East Coast. Lots of people were working in finance and all of this other stuff. There weren't very many that moved to LA. I had one good friend from high school who lived there. And so I moved out and figured, okay, I'll figure it out. And that's what I did. Yeah. And how was that transition? Did you find immediate success? Did you find some ramping up success? How was it for the first, first couple of months, first couple of years? I think it's hard to move anywhere and it's hard to move somewhere if you don't have a set job. So I was moving there and I wasn't moving there for a job that I knew I had. I was moving there to go on more auditions and to meet people and all that stuff. So I remember I, I tried to get another waitressing job, but the guy that I interviewed with to get the waitressing job was like, why don't you do some modeling? And I remember thinking in New York, you really, at that time too, you had to be a full-time model if you really wanted to get work. And I said to him, well, I don't want to be a full-time model. I want to be an actress. So I, and he was like, oh, LA is totally different. You can do stuff kind of part-time. You can do whatever. So why don't you go and meet with this person? So I wound up meeting with an agent in LA, a modeling agent and told her my situation and wound up being able to do some of that part-time. So that was how I started making money. It wasn't lots of money. It was like enough to pay your rent and everything. But that allowed me to go on auditions, to try and get an agent. And none of that stuff happens quickly. I think that anyone who is an overnight, I think everyone says, oh, an overnight success is a success that has been working on it for 10 years, but no one knew or no one talked about. So it takes you a while to get seen to get an agent to get the right types of auditions i was doing student films i was doing any type of things that i could do really and slowly that started working you meet more people and i remember i finally did get an agent which was exciting for me and i went on a few more auditions and the, by the time i got my first role i had probably been in LA for my first big role. I had probably been in LA for at least like a year. Yeah, that's and not cannot be easy. It doesn't sound like an easy situation at all. 
what what kept you going? I don't know. I think that you have to be good at rejection. I think you have to be fairly resilient. And acting might be the worst form of where you have to deal with that. But I think even when you have your own business, which I've noticed, you know, with this, there's tons of rejection. If you're trying to raise money, there's also a ton of rejection. And I think you just have to develop ways to deal with it that don't crush you. And I don't think that's easy either. I think in the beginning, you take a lot of things personally and you're like, oh my gosh, I didn't get that role because they didn't like me. They didn't like what I did. And I would sit there and obsess over what I could have changed in this very small moment in this audition that would have made a different outcome. And then you start to realize it probably had nothing to do with me, or maybe it did, or maybe I just wasn't the right look, or maybe I look like the director's ex-wife and therefore I'm not going to be cast in the movie. There are so many other factors that you have no control over. And the moment you start to realize that and you're just like, okay, I have to just keep going and eventually it will work for me. Then I think it's, it allows you to deal with the situations in a more constructive way. Yeah. And Christine, I'm taking notes, obviously. And what I'm looking for are certain words that you were saying that will allow me to create the title for this podcast. And just, I'm laughing because you shared, I was trying to figure out ways to deal with things that didn't crush me. Just to deal with things that didn't crush you. I just got back, actually. I was presenting, gosh, it was just on Friday, at the Win Las Vegas and Encore. And I was presenting to their sales and convention services team. And something that I shared with them, they're very busy and what just a remarkable hotel. Maybe you've been there before, but we were talking about the average person has 60,000 thoughts a day go through their mind. And it's everything from, okay, am I ready for Christine? I'm hoping she's feeling good. Did I get the time right? She didn't accept the invite. So let me resend the note, but she didn't send it back. And do I hit record all of these thoughts, right? Going through my mind. That's a lot. And then statistically, there was a study that was done, 95% of these thoughts are repetitive over and over. Did I hit record? Oh, I'm really enjoying this conversation. Did I hit record? Did I hit record? Did I hit record? And then there's a staggering number of these repetitive thoughts that are negative, like 80% are negative. But then the studies also show that the most of the worry that we have is for no reason. And so I was, uh, I was trying to book, there was a company that was trying to book me to do their keynote at a financial conference in a few months. And I was waiting for a response. We really like you, Bart. We really like you. And when they were supposed to sign the contract, no one ever responded. My contact never responded. So I was just freaking out. Did I post something on LinkedIn? Did I interview someone for the podcast that they didn't like? Why all the same reasons? Did I look like the directors? What, like all those things. And basically she then followed up and she said, I'm so sorry, I've been out of pocket. I just got promoted and I've been really busy working on my succession. Who was going to replace me? There's nothing to worry about. So I love that you were just saying that about ways of being able to handle things and rejection and resilience that don't crush you. Mm -hmm. You say, Christine, that you are naturally a very confident person or did you have to find that confidence? That's a really good question. I think I've always been somewhat confident. I think you have to be in order to try and do new things. And and I think because I've been like that since I was a kid and more so than my sisters, I think I was potentially just born that way. I had more confidence or more determination to do certain things. But I think at different points in my life that has wavered, right? You go through periods where you're super self-confident and then you go through other periods where you're like, what am I doing? And what 
is going on and you're not, you're less confident. So I think that there are ebbs and flows in that confidence. And, but I think generally speaking, I guess I'm a more confident person than some. Yeah. And certainly resilient. So here, you, but I think resilience is also learned. I think that in the beginning, it, things would be super upsetting. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is never going to work. This is, I'm never going to be able to get a role and, and this and that. And I think you just have to find ways within yourself. And whether that's through talking to other people that have already been in that spot or excuse me, going to therapy or whatever that is to get you there, because I don't know if that type of resilience is super innate for everyone. I don't know if you're, that much rejection is supposed to happen in short periods of time. Maybe some people are better than it, at it than others, but I think you also, it's a skill that you need to work on. I agree. I agree. And it's, I think it's because people like you care, right? You care about what you're doing, because if you had this flippant, flamboyant, entitled attitude, you wouldn't care. You wouldn't care if people liked you or disliked you. You wouldn't care about success or failure. You just wouldn't care. But obviously, then I can tell from just speaking with you that you are a person that cares. You intimately care not only about yourself, but you care about other people. So you're in California, right? You're seeing success with film and television and modeling. What then prompts you to say, you know what? I think there's an opportunity. I'm going to found, I'm going to start a company. And it's really interesting and it's very intricate, but I think it's going to change these industries. And this is why. What prompted you to start BODS? So it's actually really interesting. So I was, I guess, by like outside standards, I was successful in TV and film. I was working, I was able to pay my bills, I was doing some big movies with well known people on some TV, but I don't think I felt fully satisfied internally. And I never felt like I had control over what was going on in my life. I was always waiting for somebody else to give me a role. I was waiting for the phone to ring. I was doing as many things as I could to put myself out there, but I really felt like I was just always waiting. I was, I wasn't in control and the determination of whether I was going to be successful in this career or not was really based on other people and other people's whims. And at the same time, I found that I was being cast over and over again in really similar roles based on what I looked like. And so it was really hard for me to get roles outside of the girlfriend or the prostitute or whatever they thought I looked like. And so I started doing a lot of voiceover which I got into. And I really enjoyed that because it allowed me to play a much wider range of characters than when I was actually on screen. So that was quite fun. And I was doing a whole slew of characters and I started doing it more and more for video games. Mm -hmm. And through that, I got exposure to the world of gaming, which I was not a gamer. I really didn't know anything about that world, but I started getting exposure to that side of things and how they make the games and how they do the voicing. And then I would be asked if I could do motion capture for some of the games because I had a dance background and that was fascinating. And that for me was really where it started to click and change. I thought, wow, look at this, all of this technology that they're using here for games. But I really think that it's like applicable outside of just gaming. And I really started to think, okay, 
if I were to get involved in something and really throw my weight behind something that I believe in and that I see as part of the future, I think it could be this. And I don't know what, where that thought came from. I think I was just, was really awed and fascinated by the whole space. And I hadn't found myself feeling that way about anything in a really long time. And so I started to do a lot of work there. I was working at a motion capture company. I started doing less and less auditions and spending more and more of my time reading about this space and really digging into it. And with time, it just, it became the thing that I was more passionate about than waiting for someone to tell me I got a Coca-Cola commercial. And it felt for me like I had more control over my life and that I had more control in what was going on. And it also felt like I was expanding myself in ways that I hadn't for the time that, that I was acting. I expanded myself in a lot of ways while I was doing that emotionally, et cetera. But yeah. I think I was learning new things every single day and I was challenging myself in ways that I hadn't challenged myself before. And I think that was really interesting to me. Yeah, Christine, and this, this is definitely a personal question. You shared as a child, you would read the encyclopedia and you were taking AP classes and I'm sure graduating with honors. The world of how you would act as an actress and how you would look as a model, do you think that part of that was preventing people from seeing the deepness of who you are? Do you think that you were viewed and you just shared, I didn't want to be cast as a girlfriend or a prostitute anymore. Do you think, did that grow to bother you that people would look at you as a model, as an actress for your appearance, as opposed to I have a mind, I have a soul, I have more in me because I'm a smart, intellectual human being. Did that ever play into some of your decisions? Yeah, 100%. And I think that when you're younger, it matters a lot more. I think now that I'm older, I care a lot less about what people think about me. But when I was in my 20s and everything, I wanted people to, and I don't know why I cared so much, but I wanted people to know that I was smart or that they could have a deeper, intelligent conversation with me. And I remember going to a Hollywood party and I was with someone at the time and this well-known person came up and started talking to us, but like literally didn't speak to me and only spoke to the person I was with in part, assuming that I wouldn't be able to participate in the conversation. And I've entered Rejected my own knowledge of the space into the conversation. And the guy's response was literally like, wow, I had no idea that you would be able to talk about it. It was something about politics in a foreign country at the time. Yeah. And I think I did hate that people just assumed that I was dumb and that I didn't have anything interesting to say or anything interesting to contribute. And I do think that constantly bothered me. And I think in bad ways, it would surface where then I would have, I felt like I always had to start with, oh, I'm smart. Or I had this chip on my shoulder where I had to always prove to people that was what yeah. it was. And I think that now that is a lot less. But yeah, I do think that contributed to the decision yeah. too. I think I was like, I can do something outside of what I look like and that will have much more longevity and be longer lasting and probably in part be fulfilling. 
So yeah, I do think I, that. Yeah, because Christine, I was even sensitive to that because when I'm trying to be very perceptive of what I'm asking and how you're reacting and how you're listening and all of these things while taking notes, but I also, I wanted to make sure because I actually said that, yes, I know we're talking a lot about your early years in acting and modeling, but we will be getting to being the CEO and founder of BOTS because I don't want you to think that you're on this podcast because you're an actress, you're a model, you're on this podcast and not because you're a founder and CEO, you are on this podcast because you do what most people don't. So I was even very sensitive that I don't want you to think that I am interviewing you because of what you look like. I'm interviewing you for who you are, if that makes sense. The funny thing is I don't actually care anymore. And now I just see it as an asset. I think that when I was younger, I was always trying to downplay it because I didn't want people to see me that way. And now I look and I go, oh man, if I had been in my twenties and I just been able to be like, who cares if they are doing this because they think you're pretty, that's great. That's just another way in. I can see things that way now. And I'm actually like, okay, great. That sounds awesome. And I don't actually, it doesn't bother me in the same way, but I think when you're younger, you're still trying to figure out who you are and you're still trying to Yes. Figure out like, yeah. Yeah, So I think it's a lot different. Yeah. And there's probably, it's in a good way, it's maturity, it's growth. Because I remember, and I shared with you before we hit record that I had lived in Santa Monica, California. My wife and I were there. I worked in the hotel business, Century City. So exposure to a lot of different celebrities and a lot of very beautiful people. And I just remember going to different events in which if I wasn't involved in the entertainment industry, I was disregarded. I'm a hotelier. I can't help people get an acting job. I can't help people get a modeling job. I'm working for a luxury hotel company. So people would treat me differently. And I knew that, and it did bother me. They would ask what you did, right? They would ask what you've been in, who you work for, who your agent is, before wanting to get to know me. And I will never forget this. It was more important, my perception, this was like 25 years ago. It was more important what car you drove than what you actually did for a living. So this (laughs) this outward appearance, it was very sad. So I'm happy to hear, right? Inner confidence has come about with you that you are smart and you don't need to prove it, right? You're brilliant. You're an entrepreneur. You're a founder of a company. And you don't need to prove it. So I would really like our listeners to understand, and thank you for going through the foundation and the involvement and the growth of you. Tell us more about what you are accomplishing right now with BODS, understanding that the gaming aspect, the voiceover, the technology, this interest, this now passion for it. Tell us, and how would you explain what you are accomplishing with BODS? Sure. I also want to tell your listeners, like, I also wouldn't have been able to start this company had I not been a model or been an actress. Like those things were the things that allowed me to grow the network within fashion to understand how things within the fashion industry worked and all of that. So I think the journey, whatever that journey is, you never know where it's going to lead you to. If you asked me when I was in high school, are you going to be founding a fashion technology company? I'd be like, what are you talking about? I'm going to be an actress. And so you never know where it's going to lead you. And I think as long as you're following things that that you are passionate about or opportunities that are presented to you, you will eventually find what 
what works for you. And so I think for me, BODS was a really great mixture of the experiences, the knowledge base, and the network that I had grown in this other career mixed with this new technology and stuff that I was learning about and ways to use it within the fashion industry. And being that sort of translation piece or that bridge between fashion and technology, because there weren't that many people, especially before COVID, that were doing that or that were involved in that space or that knew how to translate what was going on on the tech side to somebody that was working in the fashion industry. It was very two very siloed worlds. Now they're becoming more intertwined. Prior to COVID, there was really no one that was working on the fashion side that also was doing gaming technology. Yeah. And how would you describe BODS? What are you accomplishing? So yes, it's a fashion technology company, some tremendous awards. Fast Company has listed BODS as the next big things in tech fashion in the universe, in the metaverse rather, how would you explain to someone that is just without going to the internet and looking up your company, how would you explain what BODS is accomplishing? So BODS is allowing you as a customer to create a 3D version of your body in a very easy to use and understand way and a quick way so that you can try on clothing on your the brand that you're shopping's website before you put it in your cart or before you check out. So Anyone who shopped e-com, I'm sure, has either been hesitant around sizing, not known what their size was or anything like that, or has bought three of the same thing in three different sizes because they want to try it on at home and then they're going to return two of them. So what we're trying to do is we're trying to give the customer that information and that knowledge before they make the purchase so that A, they can feel more confident about making the purchase and B, it's a way more sustainable way to shop. You're not shipping all this stuff back and forth. The the brand doesn't have it out of circulation. And also the brand gets to know more about what their customers are actually buying when it comes to fit and they can tailor the way that they're cutting or the way that they're actually creating the garments more to their actual customer base. And with BODS, we always say it's about fit. It's not about size. So there's lots of algorithms now that could tell you, oh, you answer six questions. And based on the answers to those six questions, you're a small, which is great. It's better than nothing, but you still don't have any idea what that means. Does that mean it's a small and it's going to be tight in my armpit? Does that mean it's a small and it's going to be a little bit short? So we allow the visualization layer so you can actually see the garment on your body. So you can determine, oh, I actually just don't like the way that fits me. And you can make that subjective decision and not purchase it. Or, oh my gosh, I love the way that those are sitting on me. Let me buy them in every color, et cetera. Yeah. Okay. So if I want to, is this ready? And and again, I don't know this. So that's why I'm asking also for our listeners. So if I would like to be able to use the technology of BODS, is there a place that I go And they electronically, visually, technology, I don't even know all the right words. No, you do it all using your phone. You use it, you use your phone or you enter your own measurements at home. You don't have to go anywhere to get scanned or do anything like that. And it's all done within the website of the brand that you're shopping. So we partner directly with the brands and you can do it right there in their website. So you don't have to go anywhere specific. You don't have to download a secondary app. You just do it all there 
on their website. Yeah, because I was almost in visualizing whenever they have CGI and they have all the little white ping pong balls on people. Do I have to go to a place and have that done to be able to see? No, okay, it's being done with my phone and you partner with brands. Can you share some of the major brands that are currently using your technology, if that's the right terminology? So we launched with a brand called Kate. They're a women's luxury brand based out of New York, K-H-A-I-T-E. And it went phenomenally well. So now we will be launching with other large luxury brands this year, 2023, but I cannot tell you who they are. You have to just wait and see. Okay. I'm so happy and so proud of what you're doing. Is it for men and women and children? So right now it's only live for women. We will be launching men this year and we do not have children at the moment, but it's something that we're talking about. Yeah. How amazing. And to be recognized by Fast Company. Last few questions for you, Christine. And this is just, you were just an incredible human being. So thank you. Thank you. So um, you. How, can you say that again? No, I'm just kidding. Can you share with us, going from the fashion industry and as an actress, and as a model and doing things on your own, I understand the aspect of you didn't want to wait for someone else's decision to allow your success, right? You didn't have, you didn't want to wait. And it almost reminds me of people that work for big companies. Like I used to work for Ritz Carlton and things that would happen within the company would certainly affect me. And then when I stopped working for Ritz Carlton and then started my motivational storytelling company full-time, it is all contingent upon me my efforts, who I am. Now I'm at the mercy of others now, not of a big company, but of others selecting me or not selecting me. And am I controversial? Am I not formal enough? I didn't wear a tie. I should have, they don't like beer, like all of these different reasons. So I totally understand how you are now starting your own, you're creating your own path based on your discipline, your contacts, your knowledge, you are creating your own destiny, which is exactly what I'm trying to do as well. And thank goodness I'm being successful at it. How have you been able to learn to be a leader of people when before it was just you were the product, Christine? Mm -hmm. How did you learn to become a leader, to learn to become a founder, to learn to become a CEO? I think In the beginning, you don't know what you're doing, but I think everyone needs to know that's also fine or else you'll never take that leap. And you're not going to know everything. You're not going to know what you're doing half the time. You're going to make a lot of mistakes. There's going to be a million things that you haven't dealt with before, but you have to be okay with that because otherwise you'll never do it. But I think with me, and part of the reason I think I was always drawn to acting is I loved to observe other people my whole life. I loved watching other people. I'd be that person that would sit in a restaurant and I would make up stories for people based on their body language and how they were walking and everything else. But I was constantly observing and looking at other people and what they were doing. And I think I had a lot of people in my orbit by the time I had started this company that were their own owners. They were entrepreneurs, things like that. And I would just watch how they interacted with their employees. I would ask questions, things like that. And so I think that was how I started to know by observing, by asking, by just calling people who had done it before and asking them for some of their time and asking them a million questions. And 
but it doesn't mean I still know everything. I learn every single day. I'm getting better at it daily. I think you also have to, yeah, you have to learn as you go and you have to be open to being not great at certain things and be willing to just get better at them. So I'm working with a CEO coach right now who also helps you to become a better leader and just to, yeah. So I think that there's lots of ways to do it. No, outstanding. Again, so appreciative of you being able to share your story, Christine, with us and with all of our listeners. And we will certainly spread news about the uniqueness of you and then also what you are doing with BODS. Let me just share a little bit of contact information. BODS, B-O-D-S dot M-E. Is that the best website if people want to learn more about your company? Yeah, for sure. We're also on Instagram at BODS underscore Inc. Okay. BODS underscore Inc. Awesome. And then last question for you. Uh, What do you think, based on what you've seen in your experience, what do you think the number one thing that people don't do that most people should? Just fill in the blanks. Most people don't blank. Love themselves. Yeah. Wow. What a fantastic way to end because there is so much about self-care and self-love, people doubting themselves, doubting if people like them, that they're not good enough. And sadly, that the majority of human beings on this earth feel that way. And when we do love ourselves, when we have enough confidence, then we can really excel. And your story, I think, is a perfect example that before just getting into whatever industries you were so concerned about how people would think about you and you had to show people that you were smart. And now it sounds like you're very much at peace and content with who you are, what you contribute and how you are making a mark. Well, I'm making my way there. I don't know if I'm fully there yet, but it's definitely way better than it was in my 20s. All right, Christine, thank you very much. Again, just thrilled to have Christine Marzano, founder and CEO of BODS, BODS, B-O-D-S dot M-E. You can follow her, of course, on social media and her company and what she's doing with fashion technology. Thanks so much for having me. This was great. No, what a pleasure. What a pleasure. Thank you again, Christine.